Welcome to the first uh, ever Frontline Gastroenterology podcast. My name is Dr. Philip Smith. I'm the trainee editor of Frontline Gastroenterology. And I'd like to extend a warm welcome to Dr. Bjorn Rembakken, who's a consultant gastroenterologist in Leeds and specialist endoscopy, as well as being one of the editors of the uh, uh, UEG Education uh, website. Bjorn, thank you very much for doing the podcast. Uh, this is to accompany our first ever Frontline Gastrology Twitter debate, which was on Tuesday the 23rd of September. Um, I, I, we really appreciate you doing this. For everybody listening, there is a summary of the debate that can be seen on our FG Twitter account if you want to follow, but this is a, as an accompaniment to that. Okay, so Bjorn, it was an interesting debate that we had, but one of the important questions that seemed to come out was that as this is, is a fairly new technique, in, certainly in the West as opposed to in places like Japan, the, the main question is really why, why should we be doing these, these techniques, uh, um, EMR and ESD? Um, uh, what are the arguments for, the, for these techniques? Yeah, thanks, Phil. Yeah, I, think it's, I think it's a good idea to put all these arguments kind of out on, kind of summarize them afterwards in, in a podcast because if, you go, if we go back and look at the Twitter feeds and the strings that fed off it, it is difficult to disentangle how, how it all started, what the arguments were. And, and I can understand this, this is a new technique to the West. The Japanese have been doing it for years. Of course, they started doing it in the stomach, so they had expertise in, in the ESD resectional lesions. And it was just a, a logical conclusion that having a single end-block resection, if that's right in the stomach, surely it's right in the colorectum too. And then arguments have been put forward to it. Um, but a lot is made on assumptions. So people assume that ESD is, is a very radical procedure, is more likely to be curative, etc. And I, I, that's wrong, I think. Certainly in my hands, I do, both, both, I do ESD and piecemeal EMR in the upper and the lower GI tract. Uh, I've done gastric ESDs for 20 years now. But I'm a late comer to colonic ESD, which is more scary. And in the colorectum, I can remove things much bigger than I could ever do with ESD. So in my hands, piecemeal EMR is way more radical procedure and way more likely to be curative for that very reason. So I think that's, that's an incorrect conclusion, that it somehow is, is better inherently. Then the other argument which is put forward is that it's, well, you know, the, the local recurrence rate is much better with, uh, uh, with a, a single-piece resection. And, and, of course, there is data to say that. And, and on the whole, the, the risk of a local recurrence after an ESD is lower than after a piecemeal EMR. But, of course, different series do vary a little bit. And, and if, you're a, if you're a meticulous uh, endoscopist, then you pay a bit of attention to the, to the edges and, and maybe apply a bit of APC if you're in that. Then your local recurrence rate is very, very low. So I don't think that's a, a big problem. Furthermore, bring the patient back uh, the correct time to bring the patient back is after six months and then it's quite easy after dye spraying to see that uh, a few little glands of the polyp is growing back and then it's a it's a two-minute job to to burn it off with a bit of apc it's no big deal at all the the other the other problem with the argument that local recurrence is something we should really really worry about is that local recurrence and this is another of the slides in the link next to this recording the 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 problem we have with local recurrence is greater in the pro 
proximal colon, ascending colon, and cecum. So never mind doing ESD in the rectum, but local recurrence there is not a big deal. But where we should do it, if this is the argument for ESD, is in the cecum and, and ascending. And paradoxically, these are the two places in the West where people are the least likely to do ESD resections. So this argument about local recurrence being, being something to fret and worry about, and this is the reason to do it, I think also is, uh, is incorrect. And indeed, there's one study in, um, uh, which I summarized in a slide uh, that basically found that with piecemeal EMR, stubborn low and repeat the kind of local recurrence that they couldn't get, uh, get on top with endoscopically was only a problem in 1.3% of, uh, of piecemeal resections. You know, that is not a big problem in anyone's book. And uh, so I think that's the truth in the matter. So that's not the reason to do it. The, the, the reason to do it, I think, are malignant polyps, really, Phil. Okay, okay. But, uh, uh, I mean, it, it is true that there are, uh, I mean, I think one of the major things that people worry about and as when you're consenting somebody is that how you look a patient in the eye and, and explain to them that, you know, there, there could be a 1 in 10 risk of a perforation. I mean, w w how do we justify that? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and this is the crux in the matter. How can, how, indeed, how can you look the patient in the eye and say, look, I'm going to subject you to procedure. It's going to take me three hours to do it. You, um, uh, it's going to be long and exhausting for both of us, and it's going to be linked with something like, at best, probably one in ten risk of a microperforation, uh, but it might, it might easily be one in five. How can you look people in the eye and say, you know, I think this is right for you, George. I know you're 82, but I think you can do it, you know. It has to be done, I think, for the right for the right um, reason. And people say, well, you know, these these little micro perforations, they're a millimeter across. They're no big deal. I put two clips across them, and uh, and that's it. It's sorted. There's no uh, contamination of the peritoneum or anything. Easily dealt with. But we have to remember two things. A, we are likely to do ESD resections of malignant polyps. So what you're actually doing now is perforating a malignant lesion. If you've got, if you've got a malignant cells uh, at the point of perforation, then in theory you have upstage a lesion from T1, uh, uh, 1A or 1B to advanced disease, T4 disease. And the second thing is the patients where we'll start doing this on is probably going to be more often than not elderly. And the elderly, the older we are, the risk that the patient don't cope well with the perforation, don't cope well with a four-unit blood loss, don't cope well with a little bit of bacteremia, you know, that settles within 24 hours. That The risk that the patient don't do well goes up with age and comorbidities. So it has to be done for, for, the, for, the, right, for the right reasons and for the right cases. Then people, the other thing people worry about is, of course, the, the, the fantastic cost of them, the, the uh, suminous uh, uh, cis endoscopy cysts. I think they're about 400 pounds. The, uh, and then you've got the Olympus and needle knives, et cetera. They're usually two, two to 300 pounds. This is expensive stuff. So, uh, so, so from that, I've taken up, I mean, patient selection and choosing the right person to do it in is, is essential. Um, and I, you've also given a convincing um, argument that there are very clear benefits from these techniques. So what do you think the barriers are really for their widespread use? I mean, I mean, why, why isn't everybody doing it? Yeah, the right uh, lesion to do this on. Uh, I, I go to the upper and lower GI MDT, and in the upper GI tract, 
the, um, if biopsies from the esophagus or the stomach have shown, yep, this is an intermucosal cancer, but I say, look, I think this is, this is limited disease, this is superficial disease, this is something I can remove endoscopically, then it comes to me. But it's paradoxical, I think, that in the lower GI tract, these things, you know, even if a single biopsy shows uh, cancer, doesn't matter then currently if there is an endoscopy in the room and say, look, I, I can remove this, I can remove this endoscopically. There's no need for a hemocolectomy. That doesn't come into it. It's game over, and the lesion goes straight to the, to the colorectal surgeons, which is great if they had a, a very, very low risk of complications. But, of course, they don't. So, at best, you have a, something like a 1% risk of, of being dead in the ground a, a month later. At worst, that risk goes up to maybe 1 in 10, maybe worse. So, a, a large proportion of patients could, of course, be cured of the, of the early superficial malignant disease without a colectomy, without subjecting them to, to the risk of a, of a colectomy, etc. Uh, so, so part of the barriers, I think, is, is, the, um, is the MDTs. Uh, and then, the, 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 but of course, uh, in the Twitter debate, we heard a lot of people voiced the concern that how on earth do you get trained in this? A, we need training, we need accreditation with this, with the with the problems of complications, uh, perforations, bleeding, etc., people want to be trained. They want to have the protection of accreditation, and of course, they need to be. They, they need to work in, a, in an environment where they have friendly colorectal surgeons who don't turn around and say, "Oh my God, what did you do this for?" You know, look what the mess we're in now. We're not going to bail you out. Oh God. So, so you need a friendly supporting team. You need uh, you need 24/7 radiology to kind of do a scan in the middle of the night, maybe angiography and embolization if there's a stubborn vessel bleeding. All the bleeding is not a bigger problem with ESD than with PSPLMR, in my experience. And um, then, not only do you do endoscopy, they need training in in in, um, in removing them. They need training in recognizing what is a, a malignant polyp. So they can turn around to the, at the MDT meeting and say, look, I know the biopsy, A, the biopsy shared with cancer, but I think this is superficial disease because I've seen the images of the lesion. Or they, have been, they, they bring their own case to the MDT and say, look, the biopsy said it's a high-grade dysplasia, but this is early, early cancer. I can recognize it endoscopically, but I think I can remove it uh, endoscopically. Can I do that? Can I go ahead and do it? So I think MDT is, is the gatekeeper. They should do it. And of course... There's not that many of these lesions. We need a tertiary referral network. Sure, sure. So um, talking about the MDT, so I mean really um, these techniques do have a major implication on the, the way the MDT works in terms of the surgeons, in, in terms of on the histopathologist. And also it, it seems, I mean, uh, the classification systems as well, I mean, are, are they, uh, are they um, up to speed with, with uh, the, the, where these techniques are? Well, yeah, this, this is one of the paradoxes, Phil, in that um, for some reason the Vienna classification does not allow a histopathologist to call intermucosal cancers intermucosal cancers. They, the, the histopathologists, they, they, they are only allowed to call intermucosal cancer high-grade dysplasia. And that leads this to some funny, funny histopathology report. I remember receiving one where the, uh, the slides is on the, twi is on the, um, on, on the slide deck uh, linked to this recording, where the histopathologist said, well, this is a tubal adenoma harboring high-grade dysplasia. It's been removed, single fragment, the lateral margins are clear, but there were insufficient submucosa to exclude invasive cancer. And you read this report and wonder, what? 
is this cancer? Where is it actually displaced? And what are they talking about? And, you know, it makes no sense on any, on any level, this kind of report. So the first thing the histopathologists need to, 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 to change is to call a spade a spade, call intramucosal cancer intramucosal cancer. That, then everything follows from that. If then a surface biopsy of a polyp says, is reported as this is suspicious of intramucosal cancer, more invasive disease cannot be excluded, uh, and then the logical next step is for the for the MDT to turn the rice to the endoscopist. Can you remove this or can't you? If the endoscopist says yes, I can remove it, then you go ahead and do it. So, so yeah, the the MDT with the colorectal surgeon, the histopathologist, and the endoscopist sit together is is the key to to getting the right patients uh, sent for ESD resection. Yep. So. So I mean, all of this to me, as a as a, a junior registrar, um, sounds very exciting. But where where do you see the the future the, the future of these techniques? What do you think is going to happen in the future? Well, yes, I. This is of course something which I think makes a junior a junior endoscopists more nervous than 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 most senior ones. Because the juniors, they, they're training, uh, you know, if you're uh, training an endoscopy currently and, and in advanced endoscopy, you'll be learning piecemeal EMR. And you look over the shoulder to the Japanese where they do M-block ESD resection and you wonder, am I, am I training in the wrong technique here? Am I like a colorectal surgeon who's learning open hemicolectomies? Well, actually, what I should be training is a laparoscopic surgery. Am I on the wrong training track? So I can understand that juniors are very anxious about the developments. But the, the the truth is that there's not many of these lesions around. They uh, uh, and, and it hasn't really been accepted yet that they they, they should be removed single fragments, etc. Although it's it's the right way to go, it's the right direction of travel. But behind the scenes, there are there are there are movements to kind of link up a, a tertiary referral network. And and the first step to that is an agreement of what is what is the a level a level three or a level four polyp. What are the the the, the big dangerous ones that need this kind of resection? Where, where which lesions should we agree should go this way, and where should they go to is the next step. I think the BSG is beginning to do to do some work. I'm I'm um, I'm a co-author of a of a of a paper uh, trying to disentangle some of the uh, some of the issues around polyps and decide on which lesions needs to go tertiary referral basically. All right. Well, um, I think I think we'll finish there. Thank you very much, Fiona. Um, we, we really appreciate um, you doing this. Um, so to repeat, this this podcast is to accompany the uh, the recent debate on the Tuesday, the 23rd of September, which was entitled "Frontline Endoscopy: Colonic EMR versus ESD: Which One and When?" And the slides that Bjorn refers to will be available in a link next to this podcast. So if you want to have any further information about this then uh, then please refer to those slides and also remember to to keep on following our fg debates it's hashtag fg debate the next uh, debate is on tuesday the 14th of october at 8 or 9 p.m gmt time and it's with uh, dr charlie lee's frontline ibd finding the cause of ibd genes bugs or diet thank you very much